Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. In the early 1990s, a couple of writers put forward an idea that generational divides shape how we look at the world around us, and they shape America. That idea became known as generational theory. It was incredibly influential, and the authors kept updating it as time went on. They described millennials, for example, as quite different from their parents. Millennials, they said, were confident, optimistic about the future, and high-achieving. And we've seen a lot of media coverage recently about how millennials are optimistic about the future and driven to change politics, despite the fact that older generations are still in charge. That assessment, says economist John Quiggin, might be right on the money. But he says you could be forgiven if you felt like you'd heard it somewhere before. Uh, I'm a baby boomer myself. All the things that were being said about baby boomers and how they're in the way of the young and all those things were exactly the things that baby boomers had said about their parents. Quiggin is a senior research fellow in economics at the University of Queensland in Australia. And the more I looked at it, the more I saw that all of these statements, or the vast majority of them, are really cliches about age groups uh, that have been true for all eternity, uh, combined with some uh, very misleading discussion of, of particular events that are supposed to have shaped generations. Quiggin argues that generational distinctions are largely nonsense. The notion that millennials are fundamentally different from baby boomers or that Gen Xers are fundamentally different from the greatest generation. And he says, sure, 20-year-olds are different from 60-year-olds, but that's always been true. And there are other dividing lines that are a lot more important. Still, major historical events can have a real impact on people, like the 2008 financial crisis, which narrowed the job prospects and, to some degree, the earning potential of many millennials. And economist John Quiggin says economic crashes do matter, as do events like 9-11 in Vietnam. But saying they matter differently to people who were born in a specific age range doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We're talking, of course, for these generations of people of a range of 15 years in age. So we're talking about yeah, experiences that some members of a generation experienced as young children and others as young adults. So, so that's very different. If you look at Vietnam, it, it truly was uh, a generation-shaping event for uh, the kind of people who write about this stuff, which is roughly um, uh, educated white men. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, of course, one of the crucial things was the draft Uh, The experience of women, of course, was totally different, but educated white men typically could get deferments, uh, faced a much bigger range of choices than, uh, for example, working-class white men. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and again, of course, uh, race plays into this always. So so those differences, which are enduring and which really show up in all sorts of of, uh, behaviour, are far more important. Talking about generations obscures those continuities Uh, which is particularly important because so many of those things are transmitted from generation to generation. But I do see, you know, my grandmother used to say that when she was growing up, she didn't know, for example, anybody who was gay. Now, she may well have known somebody, but she didn't know that she knew anybody. Mm. But you see in that statement a changing of sort of social mores over time and that, you know, somebody who is young today not only would likely know people around them who are gay, both like in physical proximity, Mm. but also could easily point to celebrities. It's just they're growing up in such a different time. How could that not matter? Well, it matters, but of course, there's two things. One is that's a continuous process. I guess Stonewall was in 1969, which is nearly 50 years ago. So that process has been going on continuously over a very, very long period. It didn't take a sudden jump 
uh, when we switch from Generation X to Millennials or from Millennials to the next generation. So there's no sense in which falling on one side or another of a generational boundary affects the way in which, uh, in which those, um, uh, those big events uh, affect you. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, again, those things, uh, you know, those things you know, the experience of gay men and gay women is very different. So, so even there, there's a big, big gender factor. Do you know when we started labeling generations? Like when was was there a time when people started doing things like the silent generation, baby boomers, or has that always happened? No, the baby boomers really started this. And the baby boom actually was a demographic fact. There was a huge increase in the number of babies born immediately after World War II for obvious reasons. That continued until the early 1960s. So there was a there was a genuine demographic fact called the baby boom. But actually, if you looked at culturally, uh, the older baby boomers had much more in common with people uh, born during the war, you know, people like most of the members of the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, mm-hmm. uh, and the younger generation, uh, those born after about uh, the mid-1950s, had radically different experiences. They weren't exposed to the draft. Uh, they came into the labour market in a time of, uh, of depression rather than boom. So the demographic factor of the baby boom started this stuff. And then um, that was carried on. There was a very influential book by Strauss and Howe that came out in 1991, which really put forward a systematic theory and put this whole thing on a sheer scientific basis. I think that's a really interesting point you make, that there's sort of nothing magical about a certain set of years and that life experience is really what matters. And I want to ask you about this um, related to politics. So we've heard quite a bit that millennials in general don't feel that great about the Republican Party. But if you go beyond that label of millennial and break it down, as you have written, you find that white millennials often are not all that different from their parents in supporting President Trump. And, of course, black millennials are 100 percent in line with their parents in Mm -hmm. opposing Trump. Right. Does that say to you then that race is more important because, I mean, race, just like age, is like a dividing group. But are you saying like race is a more important dividing group than dividing people by how old they are? Well, of course, age itself has a significant characteristic. But of course, everybody through their life goes through the um, goes through all the ages. Uh, so obviously, in some sense, uh, yeah, black toddlers and white toddlers have a lot in common. But but when you look at life experience, uh, uh, the year in which you were born, the generation in which you were born matters far less than whether you were born black or white, whether you were born into a poor family or a rich family. Uh, you know, the US, uh, all societies, but particularly the US, have very little social mobility. So if you were born into the top 20% of the income distribution, it doesn't really matter very much what generation you were born into. You, the odds are stacked in your favour compared to somebody born into the bottom 20%. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with John Quiggan, a senior research fellow in economics at the University of Queensland. We're talking about categorizing people along generational lines and why that might not make a whole lot of sense. Do you feel like it's mostly the media to blame for these incorrect characterizations? Is there a lot of this that goes on in academia where people are trying to say, well, this is true of people who are 60 and this is true of people who are 40 and 20 and so on? Uh, academics were onto this a long time ago. The, the great uh, sociologist Karl Mannheim looked at our generational experiences, uh, but for very narrow subgroups of of the population, and and he looked at uh, whether, for example, the experiences of of uh, World War One or or um, uh, the nationalist movements of the nineteenth century had a particular experience on a generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
really it's turned out to be very difficult to get very much out of that. And so on a routine basis, uh, most economics and social sciences makes no use of these categories. We make a lot of use of age and experience, so, so we take account of of where somebody is in the mix at any given time. Uh, but there's very little that takes membership of a, of a cohort, especially one that matches the um, pop culture generations of baby boomers and exes and so forth. I want to talk about one more uh, defining moment, at least, as a lot of people saw it. Um, a, a few months ago in February, uh, after the Parkland, Florida uh, high school shooting, you saw student activists all of a sudden really pushing for tighter gun reform in a very, very visible way. Um, these were teenagers, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, people um, who are younger than millennials, actually. Um, and people were very quick to like make characterizations about that generation. What did you think when you, when you saw that? Well, of course, um, teenagers are... Uh, Ever since the invention of the teenagers, which actually <laughs> dates to back to about the 1950s, before that there weren't any teenagers, um, people left school at 15 or 16 and became adults. Mm. But teenagers have always been uh, yeah, enthusiastic about things, uh, including periodically political causes. I think if you uh, if you go back, you can see comedies. Uh, there's one Michael Fox was in it uh, with the parents, of course, older activists lamenting the fact that their son was a right-wing person. Oh, yeah. Family ties. Family I, ties. I, I remember it well. Uh, so what we've seen is something, a very familiar pattern, which is we've had this horrible event. Uh, people of all ages, um, the majority of people have, have recorded against it and have, have shifted in favour of more gun control. And the young people directly affected uh, have become active. It's, it's very similar, of course, to what you saw with the activism that came out of the Vietnam War, where young men were being drafted to fight in a war that had been uh, had been chosen by older people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so obviously, it's a very characteristic event in this process, uh, but uh, but something that doesn't require anything about explaining a particular generation. If somebody thinks, you know, dividing uh, groups by age and talking about them that way, like talking about baby boomers and millennials, is just totally innocuous, um, what would you say are there downsides of slicing and dicing the country by age? Yes, there's a very ugly part of this, which is attempts to divide the population on age group lines or generational lines that says... There's a book saying how the baby boomers ruined America, for example, or and you can see see similar stuff uh, against against the young. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, you know, if you look at um, look at baby boomers, uh, that class includes Donald Trump. It includes a six year old black woman who cleans one of his hotels. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that those people are in some sense on the same side is totally misleading. Uh, really, most of the divisions in society. Uh, uh, with the exception of gender, are very much inherited from one generation to the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, yeah, if you are the child of wealthy white Republican parents, you're likely to be wealthy and certainly white and probably a Republican. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so trying to line up the generations obscures the uh, processes that have led to those class divisions in particular becoming so much sharper with the uh, concentration of wealth in the hands of the 1%. Do you think people 
in society are starting to think differently about uh, dividing dividing people by age into these generational cohorts? Like, do you think people are starting to think more like you are thinking about it? I'm afraid not. I, I, one of my books is called Zombie Economics, about ideas and economics that can't be killed. And I think uh, our generational thinking is a zombie idea. You can refuse it as many times as you like, but uh, the appeal is just just there. It's a very easy easy device to slice and dice people. doesn't require a lot of thinking. I, I don't see any evidence, unfortunately, that it's going away. John Quagan is a senior research fellow in economics at the University of Queensland. He recently wrote about demographics and generational distinctions in the New York Times. We will link to it at our website, innovationhub.org. John, thank you so much. Thank you. Come gather our people wherever you roam. Admit that the waters around you have grown. Accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving. Then you better start swimming or you sink like a stone. All the times they are a change. I talked earlier about generational theory, which arose in the 1990s as one of the main influences on how we view age groups. We've got more from Neil Howe and William Strauss, who Quiggin mentioned, the two historians who developed generational theory and coined the term millennial. That's on our website, innovationhub.org. Though the loser now will be later to win for the time.